0: you're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com my name is Melissa Madzik I will be reading from Matthew 9 verses 14 to 17 and as you are able please stand for the reading of God's word Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: That's my fault, sorry. There you go. Joe's like, what's going on, man? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to pray as we get ready to receive this today. Father God, thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you for, Holy Spirit, for inspiring Matthew so that we have these words, so that we can know this story, so that we can see Jesus, you more clearly. And we pray that as we do today, that we would be transformed in your presence. Help us, Jesus, to become people who are true new covenant, new kingdom people in our everyday lives, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, A few years ago, my nephew got married, and his name is Baruch. His father is an Orthodox Jew, and he's also an attorney in Manhattan, okay? And Baruch married a woman uh, named Annabella. And uh, she is also Jewish, and her father is also an attorney, but not in Manhattan, in Beverly Hills. And so their wedding took place at the Beverly Hills Hilton, which, if you're not aware, this is where they film the, um, the Golden Globes every year. So you, that, that kind of iconic big banquet hall is where we had dinner and where we danced and all that kind of a thing. It was quite an experience, Probably the biggest wedding I've ever been to, I don't know how many people there, maybe upwards of a thousand people, it was huge, biggest party I've ever been to. Uh, they had an open bar, and this thing started at noon, okay? <laughs> so we got there at noon, and this went on for, we left at midnight, I don't, I don't know when it actually ended, um, But yeah, the open bar, they had uh, all these different rooms throughout the facility were open with uh, food like you can't imagine. I mean, they had everything from uh, like New York pastrami sandwiches to sushi. Everything was kosher. Uh, every room had a live band playing in it, too. Okay, so just try and put your, wrap your mind around how much of a party this was. You're just walking from place to place. And all the bands were playing something like klezmer music. So it was this Jewish experience. They had this huge ice sculpture. They had floral arrangements that were so big that during the party, some of them tipped over because they were just ginormous. And of course, because it was such a big party, everyone was decked out in the finest clothes, right? Women were wearing these colorful flowing gowns, right? Men had the full Orthodox Jewish garb on, including hats, right? And you can kind of see here, this is a picture of right before the ceremony actually happened. This is my view, and uh, this is just the side where the men are sitting, on the other side was where the women sat. That's their kind of cultural way of, I don't know, that's just how they do things, is the men and the women sat separately. So uh, even at the door, if you didn't bring one of those yarmulke, they call it a kippah, uh, if you didn't have one, they, they handed those out to you. And they're like really nice, woven, you know, kind of a thing. And so I want, I want you to think about how I showed up. What was I dressed in? What was I wearing? Well... Kind of a unique situation, I showed up wearing sackcloth, and I had ashes on my head, and I said, I'm not eating any of this food, I'm in the middle of fasting. Just kidding, totally kidding, I didn't do that. Um, (laughs) Because why, why didn't I do that? Because that would have been totally inappropriate. It wasn't my nephew's funeral, it was his wedding, right? Sure, there would come a time where mourning and fasting would be appropriate, but that time had not yet come. This was party time. This was time to feast. And in a similar way, we can show up to this crazy thing called life, right? And we can, we can uh, not really be aware of where we are in history. And as a result of it, 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 can, it can confuse us as to how we are to live today, See, we're surrounded by all the same things that Jesus was surrounded with. We're surrounded both with sin from within and and from without. We're surrounded by people with broken bodies, broken relationships, spiritual oppression, poverty, and injustice. And while we long for him to come and to make things right, we're unsure of how to live in the meantime. Is this a wedding or is this a funeral? Is this a time for fasting or is this a time for feasting? And and so what I want you to take away from this today and what I think this this story is telling us is when we are determines how we are to live. And let's look at how that is shown through it. Let's begin with verse 1, with the question that was asked to Jesus. Most of these stories start with somebody asking Jesus a question because he's confusing them. The disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So anytime we're reading a passage in Scripture, we want to try and figure out what the context is. And this gives us a nice little clue right there at the beginning. It says, Then... Right? So it's telling us this is something that has happened in the context of some other things that have happened. What's happened? Last week we looked at a story where Jesus was reprimanded by the Pharisees for, for eating uh, meals with tax collectors and sinners who were basically moral and social outcasts. And then for the past few chapters, if you want to think of it even broader than that, since chapter 4, Jesus was doing all sorts of incredible things. He was teaching the ways of heaven. He was healing people. He was casting out evil spirits. He was forgiving sin. He was stopping acts of nature, right? And in all of this, in each one of these events, what was happening was that Jesus was bringing God's future into the present, you see, one day heaven will be on earth, and Jesus was bringing little, little tiny glimpses of, of that day, little tiny glimpses of, of heaven into the present. In fact, that's what this question was all about, this question of fasting. The disciples of John, they come to him, perhaps they were... Uh, you know, urged by these other religious leaders, the Pharisees, to come to Jesus and ask, like, "Hey, could you could you ask Jesus this question for us?" They're asking Jesus why his disciples do not fast, but they're actually asking a question about the kingdom of heaven. They are genuinely confused. See, they're not condemning Jesus. They're actually Jesus's allies. They've all been baptized by John. Jesus has been baptized by John. They're they're homies here. Okay? But they are genuinely confused by what Jesus is doing. See, behind their question is an assumption. That the kingdom of heaven would come only after the Jewish Messiah kicks all those oppressive Romans out and, and he takes his rightful throne. And their assumption was that this could not happen unless everyone repented and started following all of the rules in the Old Testament, all the Old Testament law, which would have traditionally included fasting. And so the Messiah wouldn't come until everyone started acting like God was king. Then, and only then, would God pour out his mercy, and everything would be restored to this this beautiful, heavenly reality that the Bible calls shalom, which is the way that things ought to be. That's what they were waiting on. But remember, anytime that someone is confused by Jesus, it's actually exposing a way in which his kingdom is upside down from the expectations of this world, and so Jesus is going to correct them or, or guess, just answer this question by showing the way in which it's upside down. And so because the kingdom is coming, Jesus says that we're in a time of a new wedding. Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So you might be like, okay, hold on. Did you actually hear the question, Jesus? Right? They asked you uh, why you're not fasting, and you told them that there's a wedding going on. Right? It's, it makes me think of a question that I feel like asking Jesus a lot of times when I'm reading the Gospels. It's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? It's like, anybody remember that show, uh, Different Strokes, Arnold, he would be like, what are you talking about, Willis? That's what I think of with Jesus. I'm like, what are you talking about, Jesus? John's disciples must have been so confused by this answer. And you know, we, we do the same exact thing. We, we, we kind of uh, handpick little bits of sound bites of Jesus' teaching and things that he says, and we isolate them and we don't think about them in the big picture that Jesus is trying to paint for us, and we're so confused. We're like, Jesus, please just stop talking in riddles for just a moment. We're too dense. We don't understand. And we wonder why this doesn't make any sense to us. And the reason is because we can't understand Jesus if we can't understand how he saw time. If we can't understand that big picture, what time is Jesus saying it is? It's time for him to give a foretaste of the future. Here, the kingdom, it's like a wedding feast. And, and the, the, the guest of honor is the bridegroom. And because he, the bridegroom, Jesus, is physically present, it didn't make sense for the disciples to fast. But to experience a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven was like these feasts that they were having they were like a culinary reflection of all those other things that jesus was doing all of that teaching all that forgiving all that healing all that casting out of demons all of it was pointing toward the future and so because the kingdom is coming fasting is not necessary rather it's like a new wedding is here Number two, Jesus gives another analogy. Verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Jesus says the kingdom is like a new garment. That's why we're not fasting. Some of you guys uh, might be familiar with the clothing company Patagonia, and Patagonia has uh, a worn wear program. This is not an advertisement for them, okay? But if they do happen to watch this video and they want to give me free clothes, I'll take them. Uh, But the whole campaign, it's to encourage people to buy less, repair more, and trade in gear when they no longer need it. See, they're trying to address a problem. We we live in such abundance that we tend to throw away 85% of our used clothes. So so their motivation is actually ecological in nature. I think it's a great campaign. But, you know, back in the day, there were many other motivations for repairing your clothes. The clothes on your back were your most prized possession. Imagine, uh, maybe not your most prized, but one of your most prized possessions. Imagine uh, uh, the amount of time. Imagine the amount of energy that it would take for you to raise your own sheep right, to shear your own sheep with your own, like, flint knife, probably. And then you have to take all that wool, you have to clean it, you have to sort it, you have to spin it, you have to weave it, and then finally you have to somehow create a garment that you could actually wear. So super expensive in terms of time and energy, and so people would always repair torn clothing. It was too expensive not to. And when you patched it, you had to make sure that your patch had been shrunk to the same degree as the rest of your garment had. Otherwise, it's going to tear. And yet Jesus is saying the reason his disciples aren't fasting, it's like that. And again, we go, hold up, Jesus. What are you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> how, how is that Uh, making sense of why your disciples aren't fasting. And his point is, is that God wasn't patching up the old covenant. God wasn't patching up the Old Testament ways of doing things. He was doing something entirely new. Fasting wasn't the means that God's kingdom would come. It was already here through Jesus. I was talking to our family ministry director, Bill, a few days ago about this passage because he's downstairs right now teaching this to the kids, and, and he was kind of meditating on, on what he wanted to share with them. And I thought what he said was really good. So you're, if you have kids that are down there probably hearing him say something like this, and I, I want to share it with you, he said that in a similar way to what's going on with this garment, we can take our old lives and we can just try and like stick Jesus on it try and patch him on there. And yet, that's, gonna, that's not going to work. <laughs> that, that garment is going to tear. We need a whole new life from a whole new cloth. Third analogy that Jesus gives. New wine. This is another analogy of the kingdom. Verse 17. Neither... Is new wine put into old wineskins? If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Last week I went to Trader Joe's and I went to the wine section and you know what I didn't see? I I didn't see any wineskins. You know, and, and, and so we kind of read about wineskins and we're like, what, what is this even talking about? 2,000 years ago, glass wasn't a readily available commodity like it is today. Wine was kept in leather canteens. But there's actually more to this analogy than we can take away just from knowing that. Here's what Ian Paul says. I think it's pretty helpful. Partially fermented wine is called the must- was stored in wineskins, but as the fermentation process continued, it produced more gases, and so it stretched the wineskin, which was made from the hide of a goat. An old skin, which was no longer elastic, could not stretch for this new wine, so you needed new, to use new wineskins for the current year's wine production. If you didn't put that new wine in new wineskins, you'd lose it all, it'd be wasted. And in a similar way, the old covenant could not contain the new. God's old way of doing things could not be contained in his new thing that he was doing. The Old Testament time needed to come to an end so that the kingdom of God could start over new. Jesus was saying the future was now. That's what Jesus was getting at. But what on earth does that have to do with fasting? Well, it's the same thing that we saw with the last analogy with the garment. God wasn't patching up all of those old ways. He was doing something entirely new, new wine for new times, new wine for new times. Now was the time, Jesus is saying, to feast. And yet, he also says, teaches, when is a time to fast? Again, we need to understand how Jesus saw Time. Look at what he says about when to fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is saying, don't get the wrong idea. Fasting is not a bad thing. Jesus is not saying it's a bad thing. He was just saying that wasn't the time for it. He's saying there is a time where fasting is appropriate. In fact, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he goes and fasted for four. And fast for 40 days. He instructed uh, his disciples on how to fast. We looked at that in Matthew 6 16 through 18. He clearly expected his disciples to fast at some point. Why? What's the point of fasting? At its core, fasting is about using our body's appetite for something uh, food, obviously, uh, drink. Maybe even sex or entertainment, maybe some unhealthy appetites that we might have. And it's using our body's hunger to expose the true hunger of our souls. Fasting is about stripping away the fullness of our bellies in order to focus on filling up our souls with God. And so we spend time, times of lament. We have seasons of repentance and renewal, just like we did uh, during Advent, just like we're going to do in a few weeks, beginning with Lent. And so fasting is good, but fasting is only good at the appropriate time. That's what Jesus is saying. For example, I told you that story about my nephew's wedding party in 2017. Well, later that year, my father passed away. Now, if I were actually wearing that sackcloth, and ha- if I actually had those ashes on my head, well, that fasting would be appropriate then, right? And Jesus says there's a time for fasting. He says the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. Jesus is saying there's a time when, uh, when Old Testament would be fulfilled, and and the bridegroom would be taken away, and then they will fast. And in fact, if we look at the New Testament account in the book of Acts and elsewhere, this happens. Disciples fast. And in this statement, Jesus is giving this ominous allusion to when the bridegroom would be taken away. It's a reference to a time when he would be abandoned by his disciples, when he would be arrested under false pretense, when he'd be given a false trial, when he would be whipped within an inch of his life, beaten, bloodied, crucified on the cross for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world. Jesus says that, that is an appropriate time to fast. But Jesus is probably also making a reference to a day when he would ascend into heaven, and he would no longer be physically present here on earth. He says, no longer with them in the flesh. He says, that is an appropriate time to fast. And so the disciples of John, they misunderstood what was going on because they misunderstood when they were. They misunderstood how they were to live because they misunderstood when they were in time. And in a similar way, we as God's people, the church, we misunderstand where we are in time, and then we misunderstand how we are to live. See, the same reason it was hard for John's disciples to understand this is the same reason it's hard for us to navigate when we are in history. Should we be fasting or should we be feasting? And the answer the Bible gives seems to be, I heard someone say it, yes, 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 we should. And here's why, here's why. The kingdom has already come, Jesus has lived, he has died, he has risen victoriously, and yet... It's not here in full. Jesus ascended, and we are still waiting on his return, and, and we are in this, this already, not yet that we talk about so often when we're talking about the upside-down kingdom. And because we're in the already and not yet, we should have times of fasting and times of feasting. In light of that already and not yet of God's kingdom, the question uh Should we, the question of should we be fasting or feasting is kind of like saying, should we be sorrowful or joyful, like we sang in that song, Psalm 126, earlier in the service. It's kind of like saying, should we be cross Christians or resurrection Christians? The answer is yes, we need both. But you know, many of us, we only emphasize one or the other. And unfortunately, this can go to really, really unhealthy extremes. Uh, some Christians they they're only fasting Christians, and when this goes into this really unhealthy extreme, they're just like they think things like everything is sin and misery until Jesus returns. That's the mentality. They think things like, sure, Jesus said His kingdom's come, but it doesn't feel like it. I mean, take a look around. Look at all the evil. Look at all the darkness. Look at all the sin. I guess we should just sit around and wallow in self-hatred until He removes us from this hellhole called earth and takes us up into heaven. That is, if He's even nice enough to to let us in. That's the mentality. And, And if that's you, friend you're missing out. You're not enjoying anything of what God promises that you can experience today. And, you know, at the same time, there are Christians who are only feasting Christians, And, and this can be taken to an unhealthy extreme as well. This might be you. You're all about the triumph and victory of Jesus' resurrection, you think things like, sure, we're waiting on him to finish what he started, but we've got to stop whining, <laughs> got to stop whining about all of our problems. We've got to claim victory that we already have. And then Christians like this, they, they inevitably are going to encounter sin that they have difficulty defeating in their own life. Christians like this, they're going to have life experience where they encounter suffering that they cannot control, and when they go through some of these kinds of seasons, it completely erodes their faith because their faith was actually built on nothing more than trite platitudes and empty phrases. So those are those unhealthy extremes, but but how about maybe, most of you are probably somewhere more in the middle, right? Right? But yet, you might still lean t- toward one end or the other. You might be, uh, you might be more Eeyore or Tigger, if you know what I'm saying. Like th- anybody? Yeah. Okay, you know what I mean. <laughs> fasting or feasting. Maybe you're somewhere more in the middle. Maybe you overemphasize fasting or feasting. Maybe you overemphasize the cross or the resurrection. Maybe, maybe. You're, you're so fixed on the resurrection that you can't actually be present with other people when they're in the midst of sin or suffering. Or perhaps you're so pessimistic that you write off anyone who's actually hopeful or joyful. You're like, look around, man, you're missing out on all this evil that's around here. See, we need balance. We need balance. And in order to have that balance, we need each other. If you lean more toward one end or the other, you need Christians in your life who are helping pull you in the in the other end of the pendulum. but we also need the church calendar and when I say the church calendar i don 't mean you know that web page that we have with all of our events laid out. I mean the liturgical church calendar This is a huge part of why the church calendar is laid out in the way that it is it 's actually framed around the story of Jesus, so that if even if you 're in the the wilderness of Lent, you know that Easter's right around the corner. Or even if you're going through a time when you're afflicted with the cross that you're called to bear in this life, you also remember Pentecost. It's coming. It's coming. So fasting and feasting, both of these are necessary ingredients in the Christian life in the present age. And yet, If I could uh, impress upon you one thing to take away, the story of the New Testament is that today, Christians get more already than we do not yet. We get more feasting than we do fasting. That's what's so great about knowing Jesus in this life today. Just as Jesus was giving all of these incredible glimpses of the future, we get glimpses of the future through the power and presence of His Holy Spirit, amen? We can experience, uh, as we talked about over the past few weeks, His forgiveness today. We can experience His physical healing today. Our community truly can be a place for sick sinners to be welcomed in, as we looked at last week. We truly can partake in his kingdom today. We can participate in his kingdom through loving relationships, through uh, truth, through justice, through peace. We can know the presence of Jesus with us closer than a friend. We can, uh, as, as we celebrated baptism just a few weeks ago, we can celebrate and experience new transformed lives. A friend of mine uh, is super passionate about this. His name's Mike, and uh, he's a part of our racial reconciliation cohort, which we met with earlier this week. Uh, Pastor David and and Eddie and I went down there and and had some breakfast with a few folks. And Mike was there, and and he was sharing a little bit about what's going on with his ministry. He's a guy who uh, just became the area director for Youth for Christ. And he was talking about uh, doing Youth for Christ kind of ministry in the context of an in the inner city where he primarily is. And he was talking about how important it is for, for him to build relationships with kids and, and all the leaders in his ministry to build relationships with kids in the schools and to uh, help encourage and support and to build them up, especially a lot of these kids coming from broken homes and broken backgrounds. He was talking about um, the ministry that they do at Juvenile Hall, where they go and they spend time with kids and they share the gospel with kids who, who've kind of gone wayward. He was talking about a ministry that I didn't even know existed. Uh, kind of, I don't remember what he called it exactly, it was an incident response. When there's been a shooting, he's a part of a, a group of people who the police actually call to come and to be present with those who are mourning after someone who they love has been, uh, has been shot. Perhaps that person's still alive. Perhaps they've gone into hospital. But he, he and, and these leaders come and spend time with people in the midst of the most broken situations that you can imagine. And as he's telling us about all these things that he, God's inviting him and, and us into, He's just getting so fired up and passionate, and he just, he loves the church, and he goes, if the church could just understand that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive and active in us, then people would start to see the kingdom coming. And, and, man, I wish I could just, like, capture what he was saying and, and share it with you because I was getting all fired up and, and excited as he was sharing some of these things. But he was just saying, we, we think, well, man, I don't know how to shine my light. And he goes, but that's only because we're not plugged into the source. When we know and experience the light of God, it's something that just emanates from us and our souls. We start to do kingdom work because we just can't help it. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. And that's really what Jesus is getting at here. He's trying to give us a vision for the kingdom that is already here. With all of these analogies, the wedding, the garment, the wine, Jesus was saying in different ways the kingdom is here. You don't have to prepare for it when it's standing right in front of you. Instead, you celebrate it. Everything is different because of what Jesus has already done. And just as these disciples, they got to experience this foretaste of a feast in eternity. Today, Jesus is inviting everyone everywhere. He's inviting you to come to him to experience tastes of heavenly glory like we are still waiting on. Jesus' kingdom has come. It is coming. And it will come. And so we feast I want to encourage you with three community group uh, instructions, actions. I was they, These were called questions, but then someone was like, those aren't all questions. Okay, fine, they're called instructions. How can you both partake and participate in the feast today? What kind of new wine can you share with someone so they can also experience a foretaste of the kingdom? God's commissioned all of you in different ways ways. Uh, I I know many of your stories and the ways that God is allowing you and inviting you into the way that you get to participate in his kingdom. Plan one time to feast and one time to fast together in the next month. Perhaps fasting could happen on uh, Ash Wednesday is is an idea, since I mentioned that earlier about Lent coming. And then lastly, your group probably won't meet in January, but... This is the last Sunday in January, so we're gonna for this last week, we're gonna spend some time reserving some time to practice the Acts Prayer Model together. My community group did this this week. It was such a blessing, such a rich time of prayer. I want to encourage you to do that this week. As we close, I'm gonna pray and then let's respond to God together. Father, so often we are overwhelmed by the darkness and the brokenness around us, and we tend to miss out on the feast that you've prepared for us. While we are in this already, but not yet, time, and while we do need to fast, and while we do need to see and, and encounter and, and work against uh, your enemies And work against sin in our own lives and the lives of others. Work against suffering, God. We recognize that there's so much goodness and joy that you have on offer to us right now, right here today. And so God, help us come to the feast that you are preparing. We pray that we be people that don't just... Uh, come to the feast, but that we invite others to come, that we invite others to enjoy this new wine that you have on offer. We pray that that would happen as, as a time of transformed lives, Jesus, because of what you've already accomplished. And we ask it in your name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.